Good morning. How is everyone today? So good to see all the smiling faces, and it's good to uh, be back another Sunday morning, Arden First. If you're visiting with us today, we want you to know that you're a special guest. Be sure and fill out that connection card in your bulletin. That way we can follow up with you and uh, get to know you a little bit. Before we jump into the text today, I have a ministry spotlight each each week or so, we're trying to highlight a different ministry in the church for those of you who would like to get involved. So uh, this week we're going to talk about the hospitality team. The hospitality team basically oversees all of our stuff that involves typical Baptist stuff like eating and drinking, so the coffee, the donuts. So if you're interested in that team, we do need some extra volunteers to pick up the donuts. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts is very generous to give us their donuts on Saturday night, but we do need someone to pick them up. And uh, we also have a bread company that's partnering with us. And um, so part of our goal is as our church grows and we have more functions, we want to offer more opportunities for you guys to connect over food. How many of you guys enjoy food? I'm there with you. So am I getting anyone hungry so far? I haven't talked about filet mignon or um, sweet potato, mashed potatoes or any of that, but uh, Dan over here is getting hungry. So I want to talk about that. So uh, today we're going to finish up the book of Philippians, and it's almost like a bittersweet because Philippians is kind of like a best friend to me. I don't know if it's to you, but it's one of those books of the Bible that's so encouraging. You know how all of us have generally a friend that's encouraging, and when you're sad or down, you can call on them, phone a friend, and they're there to encourage you, they're there to help you. Well, Philippians is that book in the New Testament. And before we jump into chapter 4 and finish it, Just a little review, chapter 1, we talked about he who began a good work in you will do what? Will finish it, right? It's not what happens to you, but what happens in you that matters. In chapter 2, you guys remember the -the glow-in-the-dark stars? We talked about you guys are bright, shining stars in the universe, and the darker the night, the brighter the light, shine brightly. In chapter 3, we talked about we haven't fully arrived until we've arrived in heaven. And we keep pressing forward. And Paul said his secret is one thing he did is he forgot the past while he reached forward to what's ahead. Straining forward with every fiber in his body. In chapter 4 there's been so many great promises from, you guys remember uh, last week uh, or the week before last about positive thinking. The true positive thinking of Philippians 4.8. We called it the great aid of positive thinking. If you want true self-help. Look at Philippians 4, right? It'll tell you to replace the negative thoughts with things that are true and the things that are pure and lovely and so on and so forth. And last week we talked about contentment. I don't know about you, but that was a challenge to me to be fully satisfied in Christ's sufficiency. We are sufficient in his sufficiency. And today, Paul closes a message out not the way many of us would intend it, with so many theological truths like in chapter 2 about God taking on a human body the word becoming flesh, you would think that Paul would close this out with a crescendo, something about Christ's glory, uh, something about, you know, very awe-inspiring. But he closes in a way that stuns some scholars. He closes in talking about giving. And whenever you talk about giving, there's crickets in the church, right? But here's the thing. I don't have any... I don't have any reservations about talking about this subject for a few reasons and as i've listened to different people in this passage many pastors will apologize but i bring no apology because it's god's word and it's important but four reasons number one 
the reason why I don't have any reservations is it's in the text. And Arden first, if you haven't noticed their methodology, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So I don't get to cherry pick what I want to talk about. So it's just there as a subject of the day. The second thing is generosity is a part of who God is. So if God is generous, I love talking about his attributes. It's as simple as John three sixteen: for God to love the world that he gave. And a third aspect is generosity flows out of love. Rick Warren very well said that someone can give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. So whenever I think about generosity, I just think about love. I give to my kids because I love them. I give to my, my church family because I love you guys. It's not because of obligation. And finally, and this is really the nutshell, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment, generosity is gain, not loss. Generosity is gain. So I was doing some research, and there's a book written from Notre Dame professor Christian Smith, and it's called The Paradox of Generosity. And from what I understand, this book is written from more of a secular perspective, but they did research, and they surveyed about 2,000 Americans over a long period of time, and this is not from a Christian standpoint, this is just generosity in general. And their conclusion was interesting. They note, Smith and his co-author Davidson note that giving money, volunteer, volunteering, and being a generous neighbor and friends, it said it significantly, positively impacted people with greater happiness, personal health, and a stronger sense of purpose. So think about that from just the research perspective. Those who are more generous as a whole had better health, were happier, and had a sense of purpose. And I was like, that, that's pretty interesting. On the flip side, their study in, of Americans found that only 2.7% of Americans tithe. Now think about that, 27 even though 20% said they did, and they, they said it's actually a tithe of 10%, only 2.7 Americans tithe. And in the church, it's not that much higher. Um, the average Christian, I think it's, you know, America-wide is about 2.93%. If someone's in a local church, it moves up to about 10 or 15%. So um, the stats go on that six out of seven Americans give less than 2% to Red Cross or any organization, less than 2%. That's... Six out of seven. And a whopping almost 50% of Americans don't even give a dollar to anything. Can you believe that? In their study. So generosity is something that Americans have a hard time with. And in their research and study, they found out one of the major reasons why. I mean, obviously in a church would say it's a heart issue, but they found out from a psychological perspective, in America you're taught that you need to get as much as you can, save it, store it, and... Whoever has the most stuff is the most happy. But according to their study, um, it's actually not true. That those who have the most significance in life are those who are the most generous. And I have a verse on the screen. It's from Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Solomon, um, listen to this. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. And by the way, biblical wealth is not just financial. It's the whole of life. It's health. It's friendship. It's having peace. So give freely and the paradox is you become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. And we've seen that happen with people. It says the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So Paul's going to talk in a passage and as a thank you note to the church at Philippi that they were generous when other people weren't. And um, just as a note of thank you uh, on behalf of Stephen and the other staff, you guys have been very generous to the church over the years. And just my short time here, 
I've been blown away by, you know, the letters, the encouragement, the meals, different stuff. And my family's sitting on the back row today. We just want to say thank you as a church family for your generosity. Before we jump in the text, I did some research and it boggled me. The question was asked, what if, if every Christian, not every American, but every Christian began to tie their money, what would happen? Um, and the research calculated the number of Christians in America. There would be $165 billion to do great stuff with. Think about that. $165 billion additional dollars. See, well, what would that do? According to the study, $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from disease within five years. So $25 billion of that could relieve global starvation. $12 billion of that could eliminate illiteracy in five years. So think about $12 billion over five years could eliminate illiteracy. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation problems. And $1 billion, according to this study, could fully fund all overseas missions work. That would leave over 100 to $110 billion for whatever the ministry needed to do around the, America. That's just America alone. So you get this, that God doesn't need our money, but he uses us as vessels. And Paul starts off, if you'll look in verse number 14, he starts off with this, Nevertheless, you have done well that you've shared in my distress. Now, where, where's Paul at this time? He's in prison, and he um, really needed some food and some provision, and they came through. Verse 15 says, Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. And we're going we're gonna to ask the question a little bit, why? Why was this church only a church that helped him? Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once again and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, so he's saying I'm not after your money, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that, you, that sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And verse 19 is one of, as I mentioned before, Philippians 4.13 is one of the most taken out of context passage verses. Verse 19 is as well, and we're going to explain it in just a moment, but look in the context, it's in giving. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then it says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. I love that, every saint. The brethren who are with you greet you. All the saints greet you. But especially of those who are of Caesar's household. Now you notice Caesar's household could be the Praetorian Guard. It could be those that are really connected. But we, we know that they're people that are in influence, in Roman influence. So Paul's gospel had an effect on them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word and that God, that we are truly rich, whether we realize it or not, we're rich in you. And Father, I pray that we would learn how to become truly rich from your perspective. We ask and pray your blessing would be upon your word. And we ask and pray that you would help us to see from eternity's eyes, from your perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's message is, is going to be rechanneled a little bit different. Typically when you encounter a passage like this, you talk about 
how to become a better giver or whatever, but I want to repackage it to talk about how to become truly rich. How many of you would like to become truly rich? I don't know about you, but I would raise my hand. And this is not a get-rich-quick sermon, so if you're getting ready to check out, do not. But rich from eternity's perspective. I was reading uh, an author by the name Brand wrote this. They were reading the story about the rich young ruler. And the author said, Dear Lord, I have been reading the story of the rich young ruler. And obviously he made a wrong choice. But it's got me thinking. No matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride a car. He could not have any surgery. He could not turn on a light. He could not buy penicillin. He could not hear a pipe organ. He could not watch TV. He could not wash dishes in running water. He could not type a letter, mow a yard, fly an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress, or talk on the phone. I wonder who was really rich. So if you think about the rich young ruler, and we have far more than he does, that would classify us all as richer than we could ever imagine, right? So if you're, if you're uh, visiting with us today, the question I want you to ask is, which worldview's the best? The world's worldview is this. Get all you can, store all you can, hoard all you can, and try to die with the most toys. The biblical worldview is God gives so that you can be a giver. And out of God's goodness in your life, you're a conduit through which it flows. The world's worldview ends with nothing at the end but going into eternity with a lot of stuff and you can't really take it with you. The biblical worldview is that whatever you do for eternity, you send it on ahead. It's been said that there's no hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? I've never seen it. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So we're going to look through Paul's letter as he's talking about generosity. And I want to give you a few steps on how to become rich, truly rich, from God's perspective. The first point is this. Invest in those things that last forever. You notice Paul's situation. He's in prison. And he said that the church shared in his distress. That no church helped him at this point in time but the church at Philippi. And you ask why. Why why weren't other churches helping him? Well, the church at Philippi, they were investing in the things that last forever. And we know of at least two things that last forever. It's the word of God and the souls of people. So what was happening in the church of Philippi is they were investing in Paul, who was a church planner. He was starting gospel-centered churches, healthy churches, getting them to grow. So even though he wasn't at the church at this point, he was in other places starting churches, they, they had the mentality, it's not about us, it's about the kingdom. So that would be like the equivalent of us sending someone out of Arden first, and even though they're not here to do visitation or call you, they're, they're out there in the field and we're like, you know, that person's doing ministry and we want to invest in them because the gospel and eternity is at stake. So if you invest in that which lasts forever, you begin to become spiritually rich. I was reading a humorous story. It starts off bad, but a man was having a heart attack and they rushed him to the hospital and uh, he was sitting there and the doctor's like, listen, this guy... You don't need to excite him. He just needs to calm down. It's a, it's a mild heart attack. So some of you have been there, unfortunately. So he's sitting there. And while he was there, it, one of his family members got a call. And his rich uncle just passed away while he was in the hospital. And they said, uh, you need to let him know that he's just received an inheritance of a million dollars. 
So the family was in a dilemma. They're like, we can't really tell them because we can't excite them. What do we do? So they called in the pastor and they said, listen, this guy, your, your parishioner has just received a million dollars, but he can't get excited because his heart is really out of rhythm. Can you break the news in a way that he won't get excited? So the pastor's like, how do I do How do you break the news? So he's trying to warm him up. You know, how can I pray for you? And then he said, I want to ask you a random question. Suppose that you were to receive a million dollars, what would you do? And the guy, without thinking, said, well, I think I'd give half of it to the church. Then the pastor dropped dead. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that when you think about money, um, hypothetical situations come in your mind, but when you actually have it, um, that's, that's when it's something else. So another thing in that study that was done over 2,000 Americans, they found what was interesting. Most of us would think the more money you have, the more you would give percentage-wise, and they found actually the people who laid, made lower money actually gave more, and the people that had more money gave less. I thought that was an interesting finding. In 2 Corinthians, it's not in your notes, but I'll read it to you. This is about the church at Philippi. This is a parallel passage about their generosity. It's chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, Brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And Philippi was one of the key areas of Macedonia. It says that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in riches of their liberality. In other words, many at the church in Philippi were suffering financially, but yet they gave over and above. Uh, According to history, many that settled in the city of Philippi were retired Roman soldiers. And they were on a fixed income, equivalent what, what we would say is like many people in Social Security. They didn't have a lot of extra money, just a fixed income. And it says that they gave beyond their ability. They were freely willing, imploring us with urgency that we would receive their gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. So here's the picture. The church at Philippi, even though they didn't have a lot of resources, they were giving for the gospel. They were giving for eternity. And I, I can understand where Paul's at because I used to be a church planner. And I remember just, you know, praying to God that he would just come through. Sometimes you're like, God, the rent's due. How, how, how is this going to happen? And every time, God sometimes at the last minute would provide. And I still remember we had this visitor who came in from Jacksonville, Florida. And he was a visitor that Sunday. And he pulled me aside after the service and was, you know, getting to know a little about the church. And the Lord laid on his heart during the service to sponsor the church. As long as I pastored there, he sponsored it monthly to keep the church going. And I was just, when I think about people like that, I'm like, wow, God uses everybody and to make a difference. So it brings up a question that when we read this text and we see this church was generous, why do a lot of us struggle with generosity? In my studies, I found seven of the top reasons, and some of you may, no, no one here would make this reason, but your friends have these excuses. Number one, I don't have a home church. They would say, you know, I would, I would be generous, but I'm not really connected. The second one is, I have too much debt. That's, that's a really big one that your friends say a lot. The third one is, I don't have enough money. The fourth one, and this is really popular, is, I don't know what the church does with my money. How many of you have heard that before? I would give, but I don't really know. Um, the fifth big reason is, I've had too many bad experiences in churches. I've seen churches misuse money. Some of you are nodding your head. You've, you've heard people say that. Number six is somebody else will do it. Let them give. And we've discovered that's what most people do since um, about 3% of Americans tithe. 
Number seven, I do give, but I give it to other people and organizations. In other words, it doesn't, doesn't really go to the church. I give to a lot of nonprofits. So on, on the screen, I give a few comments next to it. I don't have a home church. Well, Paul would say that that's a commitment issue. You know, you really need to get plugged in, and it doesn't matter where you're at church. You just need to find a, a good Bible-believing church. And we live in a day of spiritual gypsies where people float from one place to another the New Testament time, you didn't find that. You had the church at Philippi, you had, and they, they would be connected to it. So commitment. I have too much debt. When Lori and I first got married, um, it, was, it was on my side, to be honest. I had a lot of credit card debt. And we went through the whole Dave Ramsey, Crown Financial, get out of debt. We sold cars. We made a lot of sacrifices. And we got out of debt. And what we found is it frees you up to be more generous. Because if you're having to pay a lot of debt off, it's real, like I would give, but the debt's there. So that's a stewardship thing. I don't have enough money. Well, scripturally, you know, biblically, you're to take the first part of what God's given you, the first fruits, and give it to him. And trust that he will take care of the rest. So um, that's, that's, that's a faith commitment that God, I don't know, but you're going to come through. The fourth one is, I don't know what the church does with my money. Well, that's an area of trust. If you can't trust your church, I would encourage you, and I hope this is no one's heart here, but find a church you can trust. If you say, I'm not going to give because I don't trust the church, there's trustworthy churches out there. What about for those who have said, I've had too many bad experiences in church? We we have all had bad experiences, right? Um, You need to allow God's healing to take place. God can heal the area. Let me draw a parallel. I've mentioned we all like eating. How many of you have ever gotten food poisoning in a restaurant? Anybody? Have you ever said, I'll never go to another restaurant again? I'll never eat that? I mean, think about it. Um, Just because you've had a bad experience doesn't make all churches bad or in the same category. Um, Someone else will do it. The challenge with that is God's called us all to be generous because he's generous. And the the seventh one, which is, it it can get kind of sticky. Well, I do give, but I don't really give to the local church. Let me read to you from Malachi. And this is, many of you are familiar with this. It's 310. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice it says all the tithes. The tithe is the first 10%. So it, it, the storehouse is the church. And I even have people that very, very well generous, but they don't give the first 10% to the church. Now, what you do over and above the 10% is uh, up to, between you and God. Now, someone's going to be sitting here and say, Timothy, that's great, but that's old covenant, right? Tithing is old covenant. We're under the new covenant. We're under grace giving. Well, I would say that, that if you want to be a grace giver, that's even better. Because in the New Testament, they gave everything they had. So which principle do you want to live under? The tithe? Or do you want to live under selling your houses and lands and giving everything to the church? Just, just a question. When, whenever grace comes, the standard's never lowered. It's always higher. So you think about under Old Testament law, it said do not commit adultery. Jesus said don't even look at someone with lust. In the Old Testament law, it says, do not murder. Jesus raised it even higher and said, don't have hatred. So under grace, the standard is never lower. It's always higher. And all God's people said, ouch, right? So if you really want to become rich, I'm talking about rich for eternity, invest in those things that last forever, the word of God and the souls of people. It's okay to give to nonprofit organizations. It's okay to help neighbors and friends and relatives, but be sure 
that your investment goes towards those things that last forever. Number two, we're talking about how to get rich, how to be truly rich. Grow your heavenly account through generosity. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift. In other words, Paul's the one who's receiving. It'd be like me giving a tithing message and saying, I don't want your money. Um, but what I do want is I want the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, what's interesting, we have some people in accounting and CPA. That word account refers to an actual, what we would get, like a bank account. So what Paul's saying is, you may not realize it, but everyone here has a spiritual account. And just like a regular bank account can accrue interest and you have investments in the stock market, and if they're good investments, you gain um, your heavenly bank account, spiritually speaking, every time you do something good, the Bible says God rewards you if it's for the right reasons and it's for eternity. Jesus said if you even gave someone a cup of cold water, you'll receive a reward. Now you think about that. So my question is not what's in your earthly bank account. My, my question is how's your heavenly account doing? Are you sending forth treasures in heaven that Jesus said in another passage where Thieves can't break in and steal, or moths can't corrupt. Where is your treasure? My prayer is that our treasure is truly in heaven. I was reading about a story from the 17th century. It was a German preacher by the name of August Frankie. He found an orphanage, and this orphanage, he was trying to really reach out and help these kids and you know, just really pour into them. But as a lot of ministries, his was struggling financially, and he didn't have a lot of finances to help these kids. And all of a sudden, one day, a widow came in, and she was really struggling just like he was, and she begged for one gold coin to help pay her food bill for the week, and he struggled and said, I really, I really want to help you, that's what I'm here for, but I just don't have the, the resources to help you. And she just started crying, and, and as, as the pastor listened to her cry, his heart just broke, and he's like, I want to help her, I just don't have the money. So he's like, hold on just one second. And he went in the side room and started praying. And the Holy Spirit changed his heart and said, you do have a gold coin that you can give her. If you will just trust in me, I will take care of you. So he gave her the gold coin. Two days later, this widow wrote him a letter saying, I really appreciate your generosity. Because you had so much faith, I'm praying that God will shower blessings upon you and upon the orphanage, that he'll take care of the kids. And according to history, what happened? That same day, Frankie received 12 gold coins from a wealthy lady. So that one, all of a sudden, now he has 12. And then two more from a friend in Sweden. Now, when you thought that was amazing, he's like, man, God's totally come through for me. He later received notification within the same time period that a wealthy prince was going to give him 500 gold pieces. So think about that one little gold piece he gave away turn into 514 gold pieces to fund the orphanage. And you're like, how is that? Well, whenever you give away something, only when it's in God's hands can it be multiplied. You know, like, say if I have finances, I can put it in the bank, and it may make some interest. You know, I may put it on the stocks. And, you know, if you make 5 6% interest, you're doing pretty good. But whenever you give away something and put it in the hands of God, only then can it be multiplied from an eternal perspective. Think about the little boy. He had five loaves and how many fish? Two. And all of a sudden he feeds this audience of 5,000 men besides women and children. So perhaps fifteen to 20,000 people. But he was willing to give it away and put it in the master's hands. So grow your heavenly account through generosity. 
Whenever Paul talks in this passage, he gives several analogies. In verse 10, he talks about a budding tree, like your generosity has become like a budding tree. In verses 14 through 17, he talks about an investment. And in verse 18, he talks about a sacrifice. And I want to talk about how God views generosity. Now, generosity does not just um, seclude or just include finances. It includes your time. It includes loving on people. It includes your heart. It includes opening up your home. God views the whole of life and how generous you are or the lack thereof. But notice in the verse here, it says it's a sweet-smelling aroma. That whenever God looked at, looks at this in verse 18, he says it's a sweet-smelling aroma. So whenever you or I are generous, it's the picture of the Old Testament sacrifice and the aroma and incense coming up to God, and it's putting a smile on the face of Christ. And whenever we're generous, it makes God smile because he's generous. For God to love the world that he did what? He gave. So when we give out of a heart of love, it's a sweet-smelling sacrifice. It says it's an acceptable sacrifice. So, in other words, God looks at this and he receives it. He receives generosity. Just like when you show love to somebody, it says in 1 John, I believe it's 3, that God is love. He receives it because it's acceptable. And it's well-pleasing because it aligns up with his nature. So, whenever we get to verse 19, let's read this again. It says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever seen this verse on a computer screen, bumper sticker, and Facebook, God shall supply all your need? How many of you have seen that? Okay, I've, I've seen it, i enjoyed it. And that verse is true within the context. What is the context that was going on here? The church is being generous even when they didn't have it to give. And Paul's saying, because you trusted in God, because you gave up freely, because you took care of my need, God's going to take care of your needs. And you met this need out of your poverty. You gave out of your poverty. When God gives back, he gives out of his riches. You get the distinction there? We give what little we have. We give out of our lack. But God gives out of an abundance. Which would you rather have? Would you rather keep the smallness that you have? Or would you rather receive God's riches and glory? I don't know about you, but I would rather have God's donation than mine. So that, that's the beautiful thing that God wants us to know from eternity's perspective. The only money that we will see again is the money that we give away for eternity. I'll say that again. The only money that we'll see, see again is the money that we give away for eternity. That's the beautiful thing. So grow your account through generosity. Number three, and I love this verse here. Live your life for its ultimate purpose. What is your ultimate purpose? To bring glory to God. Verse 20, it says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when we put this in the narrative of our lives, one day we're all going to see a picture like it's going to show up on the screen. There's going to be a tombstone. And you notice that the tombstone it has your name. I hope no one here was born in 61, but... Uh, don't raise your hand if you are, but it has your name. It has the date of your birth and the date when you depart to be with the Lord. And then there's a dash in the middle. What God wants us to do is in that dash, we can't really affect the time we're born and the time when we depart. We don't know when that's going to be, but the dash is the life that you live. And what Paul's saying here is that in your life, live your life in such a way that God is glorified. 
that when God looks at you, he doesn't see someone that he gave Christ the greatest sacrifice at all. And then he looks down and sees Timothy with clenched fist on my time and my treasure, and my talent. And I say, it's mine. But he looks down and sees Timothy with open hands saying that because God gave me out of his riches, I'm going to give what little I have. Because God sacrificed all, this is no sacrifice at all. Because God gave it all, I'm opening my heart to be generous. And I don't know about you, but the people I enjoy being around the most are not the people with clenched fists. I enjoy the people that have open hearts, open hands, and saying, listen, everything I have, anything good, if you have it, God gave it. So you start off in life as a baby, and I've got four of them now, and loving all, all of them, but you start off as a baby saying, mine, right? Mine. And you, you, as a parent, you try to teach principles of sharing, you try to teach principles of helping and, you know, this is not yours, it's there to share. And hopefully along the way, you come to the mentality, you get to the step where it's ours, you know, we're sharing. But it's hard to get to that point where everything you have is open hands, with all your toys. And I think as a Christian, we start off saying, mine, this is my talent, my time, my ability. But somewhere along the line, if we could just get where the church at Philippi was, and we say, God, it's all yours. It's no longer mine, it's yours. And that's a challenging place to be. Finally, how to grow rich from eternity's perspective. How to be truly wealthy. Treasure the people that God places in your path. And for those of you who are relational in the building, you may forget the other points, but you'll like this one. Look at verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with you greet you. All the saints greet you, especially of those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What's going on here? Paul, even though he's been in prison, even though he, he's not as flexible as he used to be, he's building relationships. What would happen if we didn't just think about riches as financial, but we saw it as people? What would it be like to be rich in your relationships? What would it be like to greet everyone you saw as though this person is phenomenal? Have you ever been around somebody that makes you feel like a million dollars? I mean, you walk into the room, they're asking you questions, they're asking how you're doing, they're loving your outfit, they're loving your haircut. If you have any hair, you know, they're, they're just all, all very encouraging. And you walk away saying, man, that person really cared. And then have you ever met somebody that when you talk to them, it was all about them? Me, myself, and I so much it makes me want to cry. It was all about them. It's like the one song you talk about you most of the time, but occasionally. <laughs> you know, it's like what God wants us to do is not to be so self-centered and focused that we miss the opportunity to see people in our path. Who has God placed in your path? Are you investing in those relationships? Are you growing wealthy in friendships? See, this is not just a talk about finances. This is a talk about friendship. This is a talk about investing in souls for eternity. How many of you, if you're willing to raise your hand, lived during the time where when you picked up the phone, it was information, please? Anybody? Okay. We've got a few honest people. Well, I was reading this story by Paul Villard. And he grew up in the time whenever you picked up the phone... Um, it would, you would have to say, information, please. You'd hear one or two clicks, and then there would be the operator saying, information. 
And uh, so Paul grew up thinking that there was this magic genie in the phone. And when he first discovered the phone, his, his mom had it installed, and she talked to her dad on a business trip, and she picked it up and said, information, please, and all of a sudden, a magic genie was on the other line. Information. And she was able to talk to her husband long distance, and Paul said, man, that's just like a magic box. There's someone inside that phone that whenever I pick it up, it's the lady's called information, please. So one day while his mom was out working and he was a nine-year-old boy at the time, um, he was messing around in the garage and he hit his hand with a hammer and it hurt so bad. So he didn't know what to do, but he picked up the phone and he said, information, please, because he thought that was her name. And she said, information. He said, my finger is hurting so bad. I don't know what to do. And she said, where's your mom? And he said, well, she's at work. And she said, calm down. She said, go into the freezer and get out a piece of ice and put it on your finger and you'll be okay. Just hold it down until your mom comes. And he did it and it worked. So from then on, he had an instant relationship with information police. So every day he's picking up the phone and he's saying, information please. And she's like, information. And it's the same voice on the other side. And he's like, I need help with this math problem. What is three times three? And she gives him the answer. The next day he picks up, information, please, information, uh, how do you spell fix? And she's like, F-I-X. So a few weeks pass by and um, he picks up the phone and this time his voice is different. She's like, what's the matter? And he said, my pet canary, Petey, just died and I don't know what to do. And he just starts sobbing over the phone. And uh, she's like, it's okay. She tries to calm him and soothe him, and, but none of it works. And she says, have you ever thought that there are other worlds to sing in? And somehow those words, have you ever thought there's other worlds to sing in, just comfort, comforted this nine-year-old boy's heart. So basically time goes on and he moves away. His father takes a position out so on, the other east, on the other side. They lived in the west coast and moved to the east coast. And he no longer had his mentor, information police. And he felt so bad. And they had a new nice phone and he never bothered him picking it up because it wasn't, wouldn't be her on the other side. So fast forward about 10 years, um, Paul finds himself in college and he flies over to the West Coast where he's from in Seattle. And he has about an hour and a half layover. He calls his sister, who at this time his sister's married and has kids. And without even thinking about it, he dials his hometown number And gets the operator. Information, please. And she says, information. Shockingly, it's the same lady all these years later. And he said, can you tell me how to spell fix? And there's a pause on the other side. She recognizes that's him. And she says, is that really you? And he said, it's really me. And he he goes on to say, you don't know how much you meant to me during those years. Helping me through school. Helping me through life. And, um, And she said, well... Paul, you don't realize how much you meant to me. I was not able to have kids, and you were like my child. Every time you called, it was like my child calling me. Emotion on the phone. So he's like, well, when I fly back out again uh, from spring break, do you mind if I call you? I plan on visiting my sister who lives in the area. Do you mind if I call you? She said, please do. So five, a few weeks later, he flies back. He visits his sister, and he dials to pick up the phone. And he says, information, please. It clicks over twice. And it's a different person on the other end. And he said, um, I, I'm needing a certain lady here named Sally. Um, can you get her on the other line? And the person, the operator said, I'm so sorry. 
But a few weeks ago, Sally passed away. Uh, she's been sick over the last few years and just been working part-time. And Paul was just crushed, and he was getting ready to hang up the phone. And the operator said, did you say your name was Paul? And he said, yes. And she said, well, Sally left you a note. And he, she read the note to him. And the note said, Paul, I want you to know that there are other worlds to sing in. Sincerely, Sally. So it clicked in his mind that there are other worlds to sing in. That there are other things other than this world. And when I think about Sally, the operator, I think about someone that was generous, that put up with a nine-year-old kid and that was willing to talk to them and be generous with their time. I think about someone that made an impact even when they didn't realize it. And when I read that story, like you, I, was, I had some tears in my eyes thinking about Aunt. But to think about it, there are other worlds to sing in. There's eternity. And whatever we do in this lifetime, it will matter for eternity. So whatever God's given us, generosity is one of my favorite subjects. I have no problem talking about it because it's one of those things when you grasp it and you realize that you can't outgive a generous God. He blesses you so much, more blessings than you can receive. Final verse, and then I have a closing thought. Acts 20, verse 35. Jesus said, Paul quotes Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I want to I give you guys a challenge. If you really want to grow rich, let's review the four points. Invest in those things that last forever. Are you investing in people? Are you investing in relationships? Are you investing in things that have a gospel impact? Number two, grow your heavenly account through generosity. God rewards generosity. You don't do it out of that motive. You do it because you love God. But the Bible says God is a generous God. Live your life for the ultimate purpose is to what? Bring glory to God. Are we putting a smile on God's face by how we live in the dash? And finally, treasure the people that God places in your path. So your take-home truth is this. True riches last forever. So to be truly rich, you invest in what? Eternity. So this is not your simple uh, tithing message. This is how to be truly rich from God's perspective. And your action step is give towards those things that last forever. If you'll notice on your bulletin, I have a November challenge. And this challenge, I, I thought through the staff. We had a good long hour and a half discussion uh, this past week. Every Tuesday we have staff meeting. And we would discuss how can we help everyone take the next step. All of us are at different steps, and that's okay. God wants us to take the next step. So the first step is this, active in worship. There are some of us that come to worship once or twice a month. So your November challenge is to come three Sundays out of four. I don't think that's too hard, right? It allows one for traveling. But what that's going to do is going to get you more regular in worship. It's going to get you in a habit of coming on Sunday. So for those of you who come once or twice a month, that's your challenge. For those of you who are regular, step two is grow in community. Get connected to a life group. If you've never tried a life group, there's so many good ones. I mean, I could point out all the... We have women's classes, men's classes, young adult classes, classes for all ages. So my challenge for you, if you're not in a small group, a Sunday school class or a life group, to try one or two different groups this month. Just try it. Who knows? You may just like it. You may find that the people are pretty amazing. I can guarantee they are. If you're in a small group, you're active in worship, your next step is to serve somewhere. Get on a serve team. 
We have so many different opportunities to serve. And uh, Pastor Stephen uh, graciously said he would be willing to meet with any of you that would know where, where can I best fit in, where can I serve. And we, we will hear your heart and try to get you plugged in. And for those of you who uh, don't have really a niche that you see, well, maybe bring some ideas to the table. Maybe there's a ministry that you want to start. At Arden First, we like to empower you to do the ministry. So go do it. Uh, talk to us about it. And for those of you who are saying, well, I've got step one, two, and three, good job. Step four is to bring someone along the process. Part of our vision here is for everybody to reach one person. Imagine if all the churches around the world, if every Christian reached one person a year, brought them into the church, discipled them, took them through the process, got them connected to community. Imagine how many people we'd reach over ten years if everybody reached one. Basically what would happen is the church would double every year if we all reached just one person. So there's your November challenge. And in your, in your bulletin connection card, if you want to take that challenge, just write in there your name and I'm going to take the challenge. And what we're going to do as a staff, we're going to pray for you. Pray that God will empower you to be regular in worship because that's where we worship God and hear God's word. The next step is getting a group. That's where we have accountability. That's where we serve together and so on. So let us stand and we're going to pray together. And we're going to have a closing hymn of invitation. If you will, please stand. Father, I thank you that generosity is something that we shouldn't hesitate to talk about because it's so much through the Scripture. And if we practice it, we are so more blessed than if we don't. And Father, I just want to pray for someone that may say, you know, Pastor Timothy, I struggle in this area, that God, you would just flood them with love. And I really think everything we do has to flow out of our heart. Because if it's just we're doing it because we know we should or we have to, it's not long term. So, Father, for those of us who are struggling, being generous, because we feel like generosity is less, it's loss, help us to realize from the Philippians text that generosity is gain. Whenever we give to God and His purposes, and people in our life, people in our path, we don't lose, we gain. And, Father, if there be one here that would say, you know, Timothy, uh, this is great, but I've never given my life, that would be your first step of generosity. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says He stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And if you're simply willing to open up the door of your heart to inviting Him in, the Bible says He will come in. But you have to call upon Him. So if that's your prayer as we pray, just say something like, Jesus, I need to give my life to You. Please forgive me of my sins. Please come into my life. I want You to take ownership of my life. I make You my Lord and I make You my Savior. And Father, for those who are struggling with generosity, as, as we said so many Americans do, help us to take that first step. Maybe it's taking that first step of saying, you know what, I need to realize everything I have is God's. I need to give Him the first 10%. Or maybe it's relationships. Maybe I'm not investing as I should in relationships. Whatever it is, Father, I pray for everyone at Arden First Baptist that we would be truly rich from eternity's standpoint. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, if you guys need prayer or want to talk about anything, any decision, Adam and I will be at the front. We welcome you. For those of you who are taking the membership class or want to take it, it's going to be at 1230 in the fellowship hall. We welcome you as well. Let us sing together.